So we're going to change it up a little bit today on this Mother's Day. Thanks, moms, for what you do. Appreciate you so much. Um, today is a message that God put on my heart almost a year ago. Genesis 16 is where we'll be. So we're not going back 2,000 years to Jesus. We're going back 4,000 years to Abram before he was called Abraham and Sarai before she was called Sarah and Hagar. She's just called Hagar. Hagar is a woman, just to be clear. Um, recently, Barna Research was doing, uh, shared some of their findings. They did a study on coming out of the pandemic, post, post-pandemic or the transition out of it, on um, moms and dads, working moms and dads, meaning working moms and dads outside of the home, obviously. Mom's working at home if she's at home, okay? Does mom ever not work, right? That's part of the problem, which is what their study uncovered. They said when they looked at how moms and dads who've been working are coming out of this, both are overwhelmed. A percentage of men and women that are working outside of the home are overwhelmed, but women twice as much as men, 17% versus 33%, were feeling overwhelmed and alone. Part of it was a lot of it had to, or a lot of it actually had to do with two things. One was that our employer, a lot of employers moved work to home, so they're now at home doing the work. But a lot of the men have been shifted back to the office or back to the workplace, whereas a lot of the women have not yet. A lot of those working moms. And then the other is that they're not getting the time for just taking care of yourself right? Mentally, physically, whatever. And so they were just pointing this out. I don't think, they, I think they were kind of surprised at how much difference there was between the men and the women. And, it, and to me, it, it, it would be easy to believe that if you were a, a working mom in that situation, it would be easy for me to believe that maybe nobody notices, nobody realizes it. Maybe even you just think I'm the exception instead of maybe this is more common than I thought. And it goes really well with what I think God wants to teach us all today in Genesis 16. And that is to answer this question, these two questions really. Does God, does God see my misery if you're miserable? And if you're not, does he see me? Does he hear my cry when I call out to him? Does God see me? Does God hear me? That's the questions we want to answer today. And... Um, if this message may be for you, may not be for you, but it may be for somebody that you're going to talk to this week, and you're going to be able to encourage them with these words. So however it hits you, I just pray that God will use it um, in your life. Marriage is God's ideal. He invented it, and he invented moms. Okay? And he invented moms and dads at the same time. And I just think that's cool. The very first thing God instituted in creation, first institution, if you will, is the family. And it started with mom and dad. And so I think if God started it and created it, I think he knows he can teach us some things about it that maybe we've lost sight of. Maybe we've been overwhelmed with. And um, my hope and prayer is that we're encouraged. So let's pray as we get started. Lord God, as we... Um, we seek to see what you have to say to us today through your word. We thank you for your word that is powerful. And I don't just mean it's strong. It's life. It, it breathes. It, it, 
it gives life, it sustains life, it saves life, because through your words, things happen. And sometimes your words are written down in a book, and sometimes they're spoken, and sometimes they're sung, sometimes they're chanted. They, they come through in so many different ways, but they're your words, and your words have power. They spoke the planets into existence. They spoke the stars into existence. And so, Lord, when you speak man and woman into existence, it means something. It should mean something to us. And I pray that we would, we would feel the weight of your glory in this. And that we would not get caught up in the things that we can do. We would get caught up in the things that you have done. The things that you are doing and the things that you will do in the future. And that we would be encouraged by that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God, God hears your cries. God sees your misery. And when we see, when he sees us, we are then able to see him and the future hope in Christ. Okay? That's what we're going to see happen for this woman named Hagar. Okay? Now, the stars of the, of the show here are Abram and Sarai, right? They're the, they're the ones that we go back and reflect on 2,000 years later, and even today, heroes of the faith, patriarch and matriarch of Israel, and, and all that goes with that. And both of them are highly praised in Scripture. But this chapter is not one of their better moments. Okay? Ever had a bad day? <laughs> they had a bad series of days here. Okay? Because so we have a little relationship triangle going on. And it's awkward, let me tell you. All right. So with that, let's jump in. God's Word, you ought to read it. It's got some good stuff in it. All right, let's check it out. Let's see what it has to say. Verse 1, six, chapter 16. I think we have this on the screen for you. Genesis 16, 1. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, I'm sorry, Abram's wife, he's later called Abraham, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said, and so after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Then the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well 
was called Bir Laha Roy, and it is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son he'd born, she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Okay, there's a lot here. It starts with a lot of chaos, and then, human, and then we see divine intervention save the day. Okay? Now, save the day in that he keeps his providential will on track. We are still seeing the effects of this, aren't we? Anybody ever heard of the Middle East? The Middle East conflict? Peace in the Middle East? Well, who does that peace need to be between? Arabs and Jews? It's like, here are the Jews and here are the Arabs. <laughs> it's kind of it's crazy. That conflict is fruit from this event. Okay? Sin has consequences. My sin has consequences. Your sin has consequences. Their sin has consequences. Okay? And we may not think that ours is very bad, and you just never know how far it's going to go 4,000 years later, and it continues to, to grow. Let's start with this first verse. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Unfortunately, for most of history, men see women's value as pretty much make babies and cook me food. Okay? It's horrible. That's history as it's been seen, been seen through most of our history through the eyes of men. That's how they value wives. And so as a result, women's identity is wife and mother. And the more kids you have, the more blessed you are by your God or gods. And if you don't have any kids, well, your God must really hate you. In fact, you might be cursed. And so with that comes shame and scorn and bitterness. She is 76 years old. We might go, there's no chance. She could be 46 years old and we might say she has no chance. Even today, doctors don't like it when, when you start having babies in the late 30s because it's so risky. And yet God had already promised, we haven't read it today, but before this in the book of Genesis, God has already promised Abram, you're going to have an heir and you're going to be the father of many nations, not just many kids, many nations. Okay, let me just give you a sneak peek of that. Um, this is just right, right out of Genesis 12, starting in verse 2 and 3. I will make you into a great nation. This is God talking to Abraham. Abram. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those, and, and those who, whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's pretty bold. And God says, I'm going to do that with you, through you. Okay. And so that clearly implies an heir, a male heir, in that age it would have had to have been a male heir, and lots and lots of kids and grandkids and greats and on, on down. And God delivered on that promise eventually. Okay? And I don't know how, I don't remember how old Abraham was when that happened. I don't think I have that noted in here anywhere. But he's, he's not young then, and then time is passing. Okay? Um, the impression I get, if, and maybe this is just memory, it may be 10 years have passed, even maybe even more since God promised Abram, you're going to have an heir. You're going to have a son. So, Sarah knows about this promise. She, she heard about that in those chapters. But what she didn't know for sure 
She knew it was going to be Abraham's, Abram's son, but she didn't know for sure it was going to be his son. Now, she's his only wife, and she presumes and would like to think that that was going to be true, but she also knows she hasn't been able to for all these years. She's filled with shame and scorn, and she's like, you know, this is, this is just too much. So she begins to get impatient, and she begins to think that she needs to help God do what he's promised to do, take matters in her own hands. Ever done that before? Okay, well, let me just show you what happens when we take matters in our own hands, right? And I'm right there with you. So she decides she wants, she's got a plan. She cooks up a plan. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Now, it hadn't been long since Abram and Sarah had been down to Egypt. So apparently while they were down there, they went and picked up a slave or two or whatever. Remember, it's, um, Abraham is a big business and he has lots of employees. And I don't know how many of them were paid and how many of them were slaves. And I don't know. There's a lot of things that happened back then that I don't like or don't understand. But they have at least one slave, and her name is Hagar. And they bring her from Egypt. Now, this, we don't have time to get into the weeds of this, but I'm just going to kind of plant these seeds. Abraham, Abram and Sarah are from the... Noah had three sons, Shem, Japheth, and Ham. Okay? Shem is where we get the word Semites. Shemites, Semites. That's the, line of, that's the line of David and Jesus okay, and the Jews. Then you have Japheth, and then you have Ham, and he's the one that Abraham, if you remember, Noah cursed one of his sons, that's Ham, okay? And the Canaanites, and the Philistines, and the Parasites, and the Termites, and all the other mites in the, the Middle East, they, they all flow through Ham, okay? And I don't think it has anything to do with barbecue or kosher, okay? I'm just saying, I don't know why he's called Ham. But um, Egyptians come through Ham, okay? Now, um, if God makes a promise that he's going to give you a son, he's not going to be from another. He's going to be through Shem, okay? But she isn't thinking that through, and that's understandable. Or if she is, she's just, I mean, if I'm in her shoes, I'm not doing near as well as she is. She, she's got a lot on her because her life feels like it doesn't matter, okay? And even though God has spoken to Abraham and into their life through Abraham, she probably wonders, is he hearing us? Is he, is he seeing what I'm going through? Does he know what I feel? Does he care about how I feel? And so she's, she's taking matters in her own hand. And I have a feeling that when Sarah wants to get something done, it gets done. Okay? And that's kind of what happens here. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, I don't know. I read that a certain way. You can read that a lot of different ways. But she does seem to have a bit of a thing with the Lord, doesn't she? <laughs> this is the Lord's fault. And she's not wrong. Now, it may not be all his fault. We can do things in life that's sinful or wrong or just because of sin, and it can affect us in certain ways that cause certain things to happen. Okay? People are barren for lots of reasons. People are infertile for lots of reasons. Okay? I don't know what her situation is, but she is right to this degree. The Lord is sovereign, and if he wanted me not to be barren, he could have prevented it, or he can heal me. Right? He could do those things. Okay? He hasn't, or he hasn't yet. And so she's like, okay, so I'm going to do something here, and maybe this is how the Lord's going to do it. She may be you know, thinking through, let's give her the benefit of the doubt. And so she says to Abram, let's do something. Let's do something that's legal. 
This, is not, this was something that was totally legal and acceptable in the Mesopotamian cultures, which would have been where modern-day Iraq is, in Egyptian culture, which is where modern-day Egypt is, and really all of, the, all of the cities and regions around. If you have a wife and she can't have kids, she can get a slave, bring that slave to him. They can have a child, which becomes her child. And that's a concubine. Okay? I've always wondered what a concubine was. Like, I still don't really know, but you know what I'm saying. It's kind of play along like you do, okay? All right, so she, her plan is we're going to get a baby somehow, and if I have to use her, then we're going to do that, which that's another whole thing, right? If I have to use her, you see how she's treated, okay? And then it says, so it says, um, Abram agreed. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. We are flashing back to the garden, Genesis 3, are we not? Okay? There's the deceiver. Eve is, is buying in. She's taking the fruit. And I think, we don't know, it's scripture silent. I think Adam's there. Because when she's done taking her bite, she offers it to him. I don't know when he walks up, but he doesn't ever speak to say, What are you doing? <laughs> Maybe stop. Maybe let's pray about this. Something, you know, come on, Adam. And he doesn't. And through his passive, whatever you want to call it, she indulges, and we have talk about consequences of sin, the sin, the first sin. We have it, uh, it here we go again. Abraham, Abraham doesn't speak up other than to say he agrees and let her do this. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave, and gave her to him to be his wife. Okay, Eve took the apple and gave it to Abram. I mean, to Adam, and he took a bite, okay? So we're, it's like we're reliving Genesis 3. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Now, chaos really kicks in. When she, when she knew she was pregnant, when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress, Sarah. Now, why would she do that? She's pregnant. She's got a child coming. I mean, even though she knows she's not going to have full control because she's still a slave, she's still got fruit of the womb, right? So that sounded terrible, didn't it? I'm sorry. I did not intend that to be disrespectful at all. So she, she is going to bear a child, right? And, um, I mean, she's a woman, and in that time, this was, it was still a big deal, okay? But here's what, what, it, what it told Sarai. This confirms something that she was afraid was true. You see, it's possible that they weren't able to have kids, her and Abram, because of him. But now she knows it's because of her. Now it's, and everybody knows. So the shame is now even higher. And so, of course, she's going to take it out on Hagar. Because Hagar just made her life worse, even though she initiated the plan. And so, you know... There's, we, we don't know. There's a lot of complexity here of what's going on through her mind. The point is, she's taking matters into her own hands and walking in the flesh instead of walking by the Spirit and trusting the Lord, even though it may be taking a long time to get there. Okay? Verse 5, Then Sarah said to Abram, You are responsible. She says to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. Okay, I'm a guy. I pushed back pretty hard when I read that. But then, then she says, I put my slave in your arms. I'm kind of wanting to go, 
this was your idea, right? But she's right. You are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. Why? Because he didn't speak the truth. He didn't remind her of what God said about all of that. He let it happen. And that's why he is responsible. Just like Adam's responsible for the sin of Adam and Eve, Abram's responsible for the sin of Abram and Sarah. You're responsible for the wrong I am suffering. It's almost like God's speaking prophetic words through her. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she is pregnant, and she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. You know, Abram could have said something so much better, right? Go get a Hallmark store, get a card, get some flowers. You were so right. I was so wrong. You know, all of that. But no, no. Your slave's in your hands. Do what you want. Do whatever, do with her whatever you think best. Well, she's not thinking well right now, okay? But he's clueless. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, which in the word mistreated includes violence. Pregnant woman, she's treating this pregnant woman violently. And so what does she do? She does what is so bad. She flees. She runs, okay? Now, it's more dangerous for her away than it is going to be here. But she still runs, okay? Because now she's got something to protect. Her name, Hagar, literally means to run away. This is a sad story for all of them. And they all have their version of guilt in this. But she is the biggest victim, for sure. The angel of the Lord. Who's the angel of the Lord? Angel of the Lord. This is the first time the angel of the Lord is mentioned in Scripture. And I don't know why now. But anytime something is mentioned in Scripture chronologically, the first time it's mentioned is always significant, and the meaning of what it is is built into that. And I don't have time to unpack that, and I don't understand it, okay? I just know that before this, it was always the Lord said or the Lord did, and then all of a sudden we've got the angel of the Lord showing up. Um, the angel of the Lord is a... Um, the difference is probably a visual difference. In other words, there's a manifestation happening. So, although sometimes that's... A manifestation means something that looks tangible. Someone or something looks tangible. So, angel of the Lord here, some people think is a theophany, which means a manifestation of God, theos, God, or a Christophany, which is a manifestation of the pre-incarnate Christ. I don't know which it is. I don't really think it matters. God is God, and I'm good with that. I like it when God shows up. And here we go. God is going to do what God does best which is bring mercy and grace into this tragic story. So verse 7 is where that turning point occurs. The angel of the Lord found Hagar, which means he went looking for her, which means he knew where she was all along, right? Because he sees. Does God see you? Well, she's going to figure this out. Found her near a spring in the desert. So think oasis. I, I mean, I don't know. The local sphinx. Uh, there's a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. Where is that? Well, it's the road that connects the Canaanite land to the Egyptian land, and she's almost home because that's where she's running. She's running home to Egypt. It was the spring beside the road to Shur. He said, the angel of the Lord said to Hagar, slave of Sarai. Notice he doesn't call her Hagar, wife of Abram. God doesn't acknowledge that marriage. Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Now, this is like Adam in the garden, right? Where are you, Adam and Eve? Like, they, like God doesn't know, right? He knows, but they don't. 
I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. And then the conversation gets kind of one-sided for a bit. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. You hear the authority? This isn't up for discussion. Go back. Okay? This is for her good, and this is for her son's good. She's carrying a son. Um, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added some good news. I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Okay? Just go out to Sullivan's Island, scoop up a, a handful of sand, and try to count the grains of sand. And then I'll say, well, go ahead and finish the whole beach. Tell me how many grains of sand there are, right? Too many to count. Count the stars in the sky. Scientists estimate, I don't know, is it 200 billion stars in our galaxy, or is it 200 million? Billion? Billion? And ours is one of maybe 200 billion galaxies full of 200 billion stars on average? I don't know. That seems like a lot. Okay, too many to count. He is saying, you're going to get blown away when you see how this plays out, how many descendants you're going to have through this son. Of course, the reason is because he's tied to Abraham. Abram, who's tied to the blessing in chapter 12. Okay? I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant. Now, why is that there? She knows. Why is he telling her that? I think he's telling her that because it's not, she's not showing. This is early. I think he's telling her to this to bring credibility to himself. I know you're pregnant. I don't know you, but I know you're pregnant. I'd get her attention. How do you know? And then he says, oh, and I'm going to tell you something you don't know. Um, you're going to have a son. And you're going to give, I already got his name for you. Uh, you shall name him Ishmael, which means God has heard. God has heard. Does God hear? God has heard. Does God see? God sees. You're starting to see it connect. See how God's bringing this message through here? This is the message God's wanted me to share today. For the Lord has heard your misery. I would have said seen your misery. So it's like God is saying, I hear all, I see all because I'm omniscient. And because I can see all and hear all, I know all. And I don't just know information like I can answer the question on the test and then do a mental brain dump so I don't have to remember that anymore. I not only know it, I, I understand. And if I could tack one more word on, I would say, and he cares. He understands what you're feeling. He understands what you're going through. He understands that probably nobody knows what, how you feel about this. He knows. He sees. He hears. And he wants you to hear that. Now, this good news takes kind of a left turn, and it's not good. Um, he will be a wild donkey of a man. Okay, I think in the South we have a different phrase that kind of goes with that. But I think this is really going more towards nomadic. Okay? And that's kind of the way the Arabs live. If you think about the Bedouin tribes in the Middle East, they live in tents and they move from place to place. They don't have cities that are in one place. Kind of reminds you of Cain, doesn't it? Cain and Abel, Cain. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. And everyone's hand against him. I tell you, that sounds like a very lonely life. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. It doesn't say enemies. All the other Arabs. Do the Arabs fight amongst themselves? She gave this name to the Lord. 
So now we've got another name. We've got God naming Ishmael. Now she's giving the Lord a name. That sounds a little audacious, doesn't it? But I like it. And she nails it. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. That's what she names him. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Because he's seen me, I can now see him. And when you can see God, that opens up all the future. That opens up all the hope. It means your future's so bright, you got to wear shade. I mean, it's really good. This is a really good word. And, he, and then she comes back and she says, I'm not just going to name God. I'm going to name this well, this oasis, this place where I am. She says, that is why the well is called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. And this, is, this means that the well of the living one who sees me. It's his well. The one who sees me. The one who doesn't miss a thing. The one who knows and understands and cares. So Hagar bore Abram a son. So he gets his son. And then look at this. Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Did Abram have to name his son Ishmael? Did he have to do that? No. It's his right and his privilege to name his, his son. This tells me he believed Hagar's story. This tells me she went back, which we, we know. You can read chapter 21 if you want to read the rest of the story. Basically, at age 13, Ishmael, Isaac is born. And Isaac is born of Sarah, who is like, how old is she, 90 at the time? Yeah. I don't, I don't know what uh, MUSC would do with that. Right? <laughs> right? But... Um, you know, it can't be a miracle. I'm sure we can explain it scientifically. All right, so, um, so there's conflict again. We got, a, we got the, the true heir, the son of promise, and we have a 13-year-old son of, we tried on our own. We took matters into our own hands. Sometimes when we take matters in our own hands, there's a train wreck that ensues. Sometimes we don't believe God sees or hears us before, and then we take matters into our own hands. Sometimes we... See, it, we realize that after we have, okay? God's grace and mercy extends beyond both. They go in both directions. It's there for you, okay? Let me finish with these two verses. Philippians 4 and then Psalm 147. Those are the last two verses. I don't know if they... Philippians is a, a letter that Paul wrote 2,000 years after this story, okay, to Christians in the city of Philippi. Um, in verse 14 through 16 is where I'm going to read. So, um, Gene, you'll be happy. There's a little of astronomy in this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Boy, we've read about that. Oh, this is 2,000 years closer to us. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. You see, when we take matters in our own hands, we drop the word of life. Bounces down the steps, onto the floor, and we go on on our merry way. When we hold firmly to it, it's easier to hold and believe the promises of God when we're tempted to drop it. Psalm 147, verse 4. Oh, there it is. 
The psalmist writes, He that is God determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Okay? Now, what is a star? I can't tell you. You'll have to ask Gene afterwards. But a star is, I know it's energy depending on whether it's, it's, it's matter or energy or something that's not alive. It acts like it's alive, but it's not living material. Am I right? It's not living material. It's not living material. Okay? And yet, God has created hundreds of billions times hundreds of billions of them, and he's given them each a name. Why? Because each one matters. And they're not alive. They can't sin, and they can't be redeemed. And so, what about us? He's created people in the image of God, in a universe where those stars exist and all have names. And he created people in the image of God. His fingerprints are all over us. You think he might know your name? You think he might have a name? I think he's going to give us different names. I don't know, I don't know that, but it, God's always renaming people in the Bible, so I kind of think he's going to keep doing that. I can't wait to find out what mine's going to be. All right, it's probably going to be the punchline of a joke. But anyway, it'll be, it'll be great. I'll, I'm looking forward to it. But he, you've got a name, and God knows who you are. That's the important thing about a name. He calls you by name when he calls you. It's personal. Okay? All right? And what does he want you to do? He wants you to shine like the stars in the sky against the black, black backdrop, the dark black, I'm sorry, the dark backdrop of our world that we might stand out, kind of like these light bulbs against the ceiling. You know, when you look up, your eyes are drawn to the light, not to the darkness. And in our world, when you and I hang on to the Word of God and live it out, we shine. All right? He's the source of the light, but we shine. Or if you want to say we reflect the light, it doesn't matter. He's the source of that light. That's the point. But He makes us look good as we walk with Him. Because people, and He wants people to be drawn to that, so we get to be part of that. Okay? But for that to happen... You have to believe that he sees your misery, he hears your cries, okay, and that he's got a future that, that makes things right, right? The best is yet to come and the hereafter, but even here and now, even here and now, God can take whatever mess you're in the middle of and he can bring grace and mercy into that. It doesn't mean he's going to wipe away all the pain and suffering and circumstances. I'm not going to promise you that. But what he will do is he will go through it with you. And if necessary, he will carry you through it. But he will be there with you, showing grace and mercy in a way that you personally will benefit from and, and bless, be blessed by as a result of that. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this word of encouragement, of truth, of hope. And I pray for those even now that are in a very difficult place. They would realize that this is hope they can cling to. This is not a hope so message. This is a confident hope in the future. Believing that the best is yet to come because the one who gives us what we need is eternal and all-powerful and able and all-good, and we rest in that. We can. Help us rest in that. Lord, as we remember that the thing that makes this possible for us is the cross of Christ, I pray that we would bask in the 
glow of that good news that though we deserve sin and death, shame and guilt, hell itself, that we have mercy and grace because your son took our place. We love you for that. We thank you for that. And we pray that you would help us embrace that in the midst of whatever it is we're going through with a heart full of hope for the future. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.